this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to another edition of the in focus podcast i am your host d sampath this year's french open which is starting on may 28 will take place in the looming shadow of 14 time champion rafael nadal's absence and it is also expected that this year may finally mark the long overdue transition in men's tennis from the domination of the big 3 of nadal federer and djokovic to the next generation of players led by the likes of carlos alcaraz holger rune and yanick sinner on the women's side defending champion iga swiatek is under an injury cloud and it's a typically open field marked by a growing rivalry between this year's australian open champion arina sabalenka and wimbledon winner last year Elena Rybakina. It is also possible that we could see a completely new women's Grand Slam champion at Roland Garros this time. So, who are the favourites? Who are the dark horses? And can Djokovic take advantage of Nadal's absence to notch up a record 23rd Grand Slam title? We explore all these questions and more in this French Open preview. And with us today is N. Sudarshan from the Hindu Sports Bureau. Sudarshan, great to have you back. Thanks, Sampath. Uh, thank you very much for having me here. So, Sudarshan, uh, how do you see the men's draw stacking up this year? Will this French Open be remembered as the edition where Djokovic makes history with the 23rd Slam, or the one where the mantle of being the champion passes from one Spaniard to another with Alcaraz stepping up? What are your thoughts? It's a bit tough to predict. We are not used to saying that with respect to men's tennis. uh Djokovic is very well capable of uh, winning but he is having some issues with his elbow he lost in Rome to Holger Rune uh Rome has traditionally been a strong tournament for him and he hasn't made a final since winning the Australian Open in Dubai he lost early to Medvedev and then to Musetti in Monte Carlo and he didn't play Madrid so it is sort of difficult to assess his level but he has in the past played with injuries and hamstring tears so he always knows there is a higher gear that he can shift into and slams actually allow you to grow into the tournament it's long drawn there is a days rest between matches and the initial rounds are mostly a breeze so i would say it's 50-50 for djokovic uh, alcaraz seems to be the better's choice and he has earned it i would say since returning in feb at uh, buenos aires uh, he has just lost three matches uh, one was a rio final to nori and then the miami semis to sina and then in rome uh, round of 32 to an unheralded player fabian masohan but he has won in buenos aires titles in indian wells barcelona and madrid so i feel a letdown was coming how do you explain his loss in in rome uh, to this hungarian player just he seemed to be like in great form winning everything uh, on his way and then suddenly lost to somebody ranked 135 or something i do feel it was more of a a uh, mental letdown because he was just winning 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 and uh, i didn't actually watch the match but overall looking at that loss i would say it's also a bit ideal it gives him two full weeks of rest and he can come back fresh because last year as well after after madrid he missed rome because he seems to be one of those players who actually doesn't play every tournament just because he is young he is very calculated in what he does so i wouldn't actually uh, worry too much about the rome loss 
maybe it's also a blessing for him he can come to uh, Roland Garros fresh when he knows that he has a genuine chance at winning the title right so yeah so there is djokovic uh, who subject to his elbow is a, is a favorite and then alcaraz this has been playing consistently well on clay this season and then there is this new uh, what should i say a joker in the pack kind of a scenario with uh, daniel medvedev who has always uh, been very uncomfortable on clay he has even sort of skipped some of the tournaments in the past now he is uh, this season seems to have reinvented himself as some kind of a clay court specialist as he jokingly referred to himself he has won the rome masters 1000 last week in the first tournament on clay wins is a masters 1000 event so how did this happen I mean, uh, what adjustments did he have to make uh, and how do you see his chances at the french open this year yeah when was it i think 2 years back uh, during one clay tournament he was just railing against the surface sitting on the on court in his chair so what a transformation we have from then to now him winning a masters uh, at rome it was a surprise and the result actually gets him up to number 2 which should actually help him avoid alcaraz until the final if the draw plays out that way uh, at roland garros and it was also a straight sets victory over a good clay court player in rome and before that he also beat sissipas who is a good clay courter again and also zverev and rome is generally considered the slowest of all clays people do tell uh, i mean uh, think that it is even slower than the french clay so it is a great shift in his uh, skills but i would say it just proves that clay is actually amenable to a wide variety of players as much as we think that the much depends on what happens to the ball after he hits the surface it's also about how you move on it uh, vijay amrutaj once used to term this shift from one surface to the other also as a transition that happens under your feet and topspin game works on clay but there are also players for example like ons jabur who hits with very little topspin who are also good on clay so players who are able to explore all areas of the court and are pretty fit can actually excel on clay and the slowness of the surface ensures that the service is not such a big weapon and medvedev also stands very very deep almost like nadal you can see a lot of times when you watch on tv you can't even see where medvedev is because he's so far behind the lines so that actually helps him take a proper swipe at the ball he can place the ball where he wants to and medvedev likes to rally for somebody who is so tall uh, which gangly limbs he actually likes to rally he's always up for a scrap so i would say that he does have it in him to be competitive on clay and that's what we saw uh, in rome last week right i mean i mean you're absolutely right movement is uh, one big challenge on clay uh, and uh, you know you need to get used to you know learn how to slide and you know not topple over or sort of you know get yourself into a twist and uh, apart from movement i think one of the factors i think which he has mentioned i think in one of his recent interviews i think after after indian wells he gave an interview uh, to one of these uh, former tennis players and he said i think that it is his backhand which sort of loses purchase on clay i mean it's it's a kind of a mid-range floating backhand which is sort of fires back from deep in the court and nobody can do anything much with it you know you can, it's not it doesn't have pace and it's not too slow either and on clay it sort of loses its uh, value to some extent and people are able to sort of you know uh, take charge of the rally when he gets his floating backhand in play but i don't he seems to have um, done something with it this this season yeah yeah that's true yeah 
and he is also a very like very intelligent player and especially when you talk about the backhand the, the his contact point is pretty high as compared to others though so he doesn't actually hit it at hip level he he more smothers the ball rather than hit through the court so that actually helps him take it early he moves diagonally and uh, there are there are actually a lot of uh, things in his hard court game which he can actually replicate on clay right Right, like it will be interesting to see how it works out on the French clay, which is, I think, marginally faster than the Rome clay. Yeah, that that that's been the prevalent wisdom, but I I'm not sure uh, what's the status now. Right, right. Coming to the women's uh, side of uh, the tournament, how do you see the women's draw shaping up? Will it be decided between I don't know what is shaping up to be the the women's big three, so to speak, Swantek, Sabalenka, and Rybakina, or do you see other? Uh, serious content as I mean I one also was reading about this new 16 year old Mira Andreeva I think everybody a lot of people are excited about this new prospect she beat uh, she she's already lost to Sabalenka I think in Madrid and until then she was like beating everybody on her way yeah uh, like you said uh, Shiontek Sabalenka and Rebekina are the three inform players uh, but Shiontek like you mentioned uh, had to retire from her match in rome because of a leg injury but it doesn't seem serious that's what she's saying and she also she has been in fine form but for that injury she reached the final in madrid lost to sabalenka but before that she had beaten sabalenka to win stuttgart and rivekina won rome a lot of watchers were a bit surprised by the result uh, considering rivekina had great success at wimbledon last year and she has had good hard court season earlier this year made the australian open final as well but Her first Slam quarterfinal was at the French Open in 2021, so she is good on clay. We should certainly keep an eye on her. Another person I would say is Ons Jabeur. She may have lost to Badosa very early in Rome, but she is coming back from a calf injury, and clay is her favorite uh, uh, surface. And last year she had such wonderful results uh, on clay. She lost in the first round in French. She would want to correct that. This year she warmed up well in Charleston at the start of the clay court season. Then. there was another injury so she would want to do well and she is confident of doing well the only flip side for her is last year she did so well on clay and this year she has not been able to play that much so she has dropped off a bit in the rankings i think she is down to number 7 or something but she has the game to do it and the others who i think can challenge but are not the favorites would be coco goff who was the finalist last year uh she has not had a great singles build up but uh, she made the doubles final at both madrid and rome so that means that she has a lot of matches to work with uh, a lot of matches under her belt so she can definitely work her way through the draw maria sakari is good on clay she reached the semis in 2021 uh, and also there is daria tasakina whose favorite surface is clay and she is also back in the top 10 so uh, another name to watch out for and there is also the local uh, favorite in uh, caroline garcia who is still in the top 10 so these are the players i would uh, keep an eye on but uh, you never know <laughs> what can happen so maybe we are in for a surprise again right uh, so there's a slightly off topic but i was just curious i mean uh, in in the men's uh, side of things we've had like so many clay court uh, specialists coming up and doing well at the french open and other and during the clay swing you know like uh, verdasco and nadal of course and so many others from uh, spain you know davidovich fokina and there are so many clay court specialists who are clearly 
much better performers on clay than on other surfaces. But this kind of uh, specialization doesn't seem to sort of have uh, much play on the women's side. We don't hear of women clay court specialists as such. And the same set of players do well or equally well, more or less, on different surfaces, grass, hard court. Like Rebecca, you mentioned, she won the Wimbledon. And then now she's won this uh, Rome Masters as well. And, and that seems to be the case. Uh, across the board. So, is, is there anything about the women's game that seems to sort of neutralize or work against a clay court specialization kind of a scenario? Uh, I would say it's a bit of a tough question to answer. Uh, there are no uh, straight answers here. And it has been a feature of late, like you say, at least until uh, Shiontech landed on the scene where she's clearly a cut above the rest on clay. But this was like that when Justine Henaud was playing and she was clearly great on clay. And on that surface, I would say she was even better than Serena Williams at that stage. She moved very well. She was very quick, extremely fit. And she could also slice and drop shot. I'll actually stretch it a bit and say it has become a feature of both men's and women's tennis of these all-court players ever since the grass at Wimbledon changed into 2001. I mean, of course, there is this outsized influence of Nadal winning 14 times. But for a long time, Federer was the best clay quarter after Nadal and Nadal the best on grass after Federer. And Djokovic was good on all surfaces. And even Murray reached a French Open final. And we are actually seeing that trend continue with the kind of people like Alcaraz, Sinna, Zverev and others. And also in the women with, like you said, Shriantek, Sabalenka, Ribakina. And we also saw how Bharti was good on both. Uh, generally, my opinion is that you could actually broaden the terms of the debate and actually use something that you mentioned uh, that we can instead of looking at who is a specialist we can bracket them into say who favors clay and who doesn't flavor clay because there are some skills that do certainly help on clay like the top spin game the kicks the ability to slide like you said and Shion Tech and Kasekina do have this in abundance but movement and anticipation is sort of common to all surfaces and which is what made Serena such a great all-court player. And clay, I would also think, gives enough room for improvement because the build-up to RG is protracted. Uh, if you're diligent enough, you can actually get better at the surface, which sort of bunches people together in terms of how competitive they are. The uh, Like you say, Medvedev has improved. And Sharapova, when she came in, she was known for her power, range, and this desire to go for the point-ending shot pretty early. But she improved and in the end, she actually finished with two French Opens as against one each at the other slams. So, I would say some of the perception is also about there being no women specialists but only among men also has to do with something, I would say, with how men's tennis was in the 90s. It was all about one big serve and one crushing ground stroke. The grass was fast then. So were the majority of the hard courts and that was basically three-fourths of the season. You could be in the top 10 without worrying about your clay court game. So, there was purchase for that style. But the women then, uh, because height was not such a big factor, which is still uh, not such a prevalent factor in women's tennis, they had to develop well-rounded games and they were all very closely bunched. And uh, I would say that led to intense competition, which has sort of continued. And even in the 90s, Andre Agassi with a well-rounded game could actually win on both. So, it's not like only specialists can win. Uh, those who flavor clay courts are there, but I do feel both in men's and women's, the gap is sort of closed now. Right. I mean, that's a very uh, illuminating answer. So, Dishan, I think it's absolutely correct to sort of uh, approach it as which surface does a player favor 
uh, rather than uh, frame it in terms of specialization. And I, and I completely agree with you. Wimbledon slowing down uh, definitely did have an impact on more players developing all-court games and, and that sort of uh, neutralizes the differences between surface to some extent, uh, definitely. Now, coming to the Indian challenge uh, at the French Open this year, I mean, what's happening there in singles, doubles is Sumit Nagal. I mean, he, I think he recently won a challenger somewhere. Uh, is he playing in the qualifying round? Is anybody else playing? What is the scene for the Indian challenge uh, this year? Sumit Nagal did win a challenger on clay, but unfortunately, again, we don't have uh, any male singles players even in the qualies. I think even after the challenger win, he was ranked somewhere in the 250, which was not good enough for him to get into the qualies. Uh, but on the women's side, there is Ankita Raina, who is playing in the qualifying as we speak. But apart from that, uh, we have uh, Rohan Bopana in the main doubles draw. He's up to nine in the world now at the grand OJ age old of uh, 43. So, he is one to watch out for. And I think Yuki Bamri and Saket Maineni should make the cut for the doubles main draw as well. And we have always had a constant present among women in Sanya Mirza. But this is the first slam after her retirement. So, we might have to uh, get used to not seeing her. Uh, but apart from three, four names, we don't have uh, many Indians in uh, Rolling Garros this time. Okay, so Yuki uh, and Saket, have they sort of given up on singles? Are they only playing doubles uh, these days? Uh, or Yeah, yeah, they have basically given up on singles. Uh, Yuki did say that he will completely give up singles, but he did enter a couple of tournaments in the form of qualifying. I'm not sure if it was to keep him match fit or uh, uh, maybe assess his level or anything like that. But for all practical purposes, both of them have sort of given up on singles. Yes. Okay, okay, that's 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 a bit uh, yeah, no, no, not such great news, I would say. Now, coming to the final question, I mean, uh, the big question which I've saved for the last uh, of this episode, uh, the French Open has in recent years become identified so identified with one man, Rafael Nadal. So, what does his absence mean exactly? I mean, he's not going to be there this year. He may be there, uh, competing next year, which could be his last year on the tour. So. So, what do you make of his absence? What are the implications of it uh, in the big picture, so to speak? And are we likely to see him back and possibly lift the trophy next year? It's a big void, like you say. And I will, I actually feel uh, a bit sorry for whoever the eventual winner is because, I mean, the popular popular uh, this thing will be to always put an asterisk next to it and say, Nadal was not there, you won. So, uh, I hope that doesn't happen. Coming to Nadal, I think it's a new situation for even him, for somebody who has so suffered with injuries all his career. I don't recall a time when he has he will be, he has been out for this long. It will be close to a year he'll, that he'll be out. Uh, but his comebacks do tell us that we should never count him, count him out. Recently, when he spoke, he spoke about a comeback. And generally, he's a very good assessor of his own level. So, if he's talking about a comeback, it means that he's still trust his skills. How that will play out, we have to see because he'll be 37 and a half uh, when he comes back or when he hopes to come back. The next gen in tennis, like you mentioned, is no longer there as a pushover. They are ready to win. They have showed that they can win. And he won't have the seeding protection when he enters tournaments. So that will be a struggle because he'll start drawing all these big players from the early rounds. Because I think you can use a protected ranking to enter a tournament 
but that won't influence your seeding. So you can just enter the tournament with the protected ranking. I do feel that whenever he comes back and until he retires, it will almost have a valedictory feel to it. Uh, he is also gunning for the Olympics that's going to be at Roland Garros next year. So while I'm sort of glad that we will again see him, hope to see him play uh, at his on his Belvedere clay and uh, at other tournaments, uh, I'm not sure if he'll be in tournament winning uh, uh, form. But I'm very I'll be very happy to be proved wrong. Right. I mean, when you are right there, that it will uh, most probably have a valedictory feel to it. It could be, I think. More of a, I don't know, a sentimental celebration, a farewell of sorts, a year-long farewell, probably, uh, like what sort of Federer uh, enjoyed until the Labour Cup uh, retirement, uh, which he announced. So it would be interesting to see, and it would always be, of course, an icing on the cake if he does manage to win, despite uh, all the hurdles which you refer to in terms of uh, getting an entry to the tournament, but uh, not getting the right seeding. So that you don't run into tough plays right at the beginning. But anyway, we'll have to wait and watch. And in the meantime, we have uh, the French Open this week, by the end of this week, to look forward to. Thank you so much, Sudarshan, for joining us at In Focus and for sharing your thoughts and observations on that upcoming tournament. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Sampad. Uh, thanks for having me. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.